So that's what I'm saying. The text is like an object. It's gonna change perspective based on where you're standing. I don't know. Hello? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I missed you, baby sweet. It was a day, hmm? It was a day. Please tell me you're seeing this too. From Seattle, we are drinking the movies. I'm Taylor Baker. And I'm Michael Clausen. After having a sip of that beer, I think I realized that we have had this before because it's good and orangey. Uh-huh. Just what I wanted to to have some orange and also some alcohol. It's pretty good. And this is our first regular episode of the new year. That's for sure. How does it feel? It feels kind of like last year, but also like a doc talk. It is a doc talk. A little bit familiar, a little bit, uh, a little bit alcoholic. I want to tell the folks what documentaries we are reviewing today. Yeah, we're reviewing Davy Rothbart's 17 Blocks, which is kind of a found footage assembly with um, footage shot more contemporarily later of a family in the Washington, D.C. area and a tragedy they experienced. We have Midnight Family from Luke Lawrenson, which follows the Ochoa family in uh, Mexico City, I believe. Uh, and they are an independent um, EMT service and... Their life is extremely hectic, and they have some of the best chase scenes I've seen all year already. Uh, and then we have uh, What She Said, uh, the Pauline Kale documentary from Rob Garver. Good stuff ahead, but first we will watch some trailers. What are we doing for first impressions? First impressions, we're starting with Present Perfect, and then we'll get to Mother. Let's dive in. Oh, yeah! All right, we just watched the trailer for Present Perfect. What do you think about this one? I don't quite know what to make of it. Um... It's extremely interesting. It follows a piece of culture that I'm not too familiar with American versions at all. And this is the Chinese live streaming um, that I know nothing about, even less than the TikTok and, and Instagram live and Facebook live of our contemporary lives here in America. So I'm intrigued by it. I'm excited to sit down for an hour and 20 minutes and find out all I will ever need to know. Um, how about you? I am intrigued. I like that runtime, a tight 80 minutes. That is helpful. Um, yeah, I think it looks uh, a little funnier than I thought it might be. Um, it has kind of a playful feel to it and giving us kind of this peek into the world of live streaming and what people use it for, um, what they hope to get out of it. I mean, like, I am genuinely interested to know why people do this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So, um I have questions that I, th I think it looks like it will answer. Um, I think it looks promising. Agreed. We'll get to it hopefully sometime this year. I know it doesn't have distribution yet. On to Mother. Open gun. 
จากกันไม่ใช่จะละจากกันตลอดชีวิตเนาะหรือเขาก็กลับมาก็เป็นอะไรที่ทุกครั้งเวลากลับบ้านบางครั้งเราก็อยากกอดแม่แต่ด้วยความที่เราเหมือนวัฒนธรรมของเราเราก็ไม่กล้าหลายครั้งคิดว่าทำไมทำงานหนักมากมาหลายปี All right, Michael. That was the trailer for a documentary called "Mother," not a feature film starring Javier Bardem or Jennifer Lawrence. What do you think? It's correct. Are you disappointed that it's not a documentary about mother? Deeply, the feature. Deeply. Really sorry to let you down. Thank you. It's it cropped up on a list I had seen of like underseen, undistributed docs of 2019, and this uh, piqued my interest. So it's about um, a woman in a small village in Thailand caring for. Uh, People with Alzheimer's, while also being a mother to a couple kids, it looks like. Um, kind of looks like it has kind of a, a two pronged interest: one in motherhood and and her uh, being a mother to her couple kids, as well as you know end of life care and um, mortality and all that you know um, caring for the elderly kind of comes with. Um, it's very much my speed. You know, it's kind of. Um, Looks languidly paced and kind of reflective and um, mellow in its tone. That's that's just kind of my speed. Um, I'm intrigued. What about you? I would agree with what you had to say about you, and unfortunately, my speed is a little bit different than yours. I'm a little bit more uh, midnight family speed, uh, a little bit more zoom zoom. Um, it, it looks touching. I can't see myself enjoying spending too much time um, in those moments where she's doing um, that the work that she does. I I was intrigued by those moments with the family, um, and the the voiceover component that the trailer had. But in those moments where she's dancing, um, performing her her job. Um, I I just can't see myself being enraptured by those moments. Um, I'm more than happy to give it an opportunity. I just predict that I I won't enjoy it the way that you will. I like tender, no doubt. Yeah, I I do too. Just different, <laughs> just a different tender. I'm I'm more mother with a with an exclamation point type of tender. Fair enough. On to reviews. <laughs> everybody thank you for joining us we're going to start with the latest from southeast dc because that's where one man is dead and two others injured following gunfire overnight and why neighbors are upset with the crime rate as well kevin the people got guns around me i don't know what people names but some people do don chase murphy he got shot 17 times Dante was just playing on the basketball court, and he got shot. Cause, cause they was playing basketball, and Dante won, and got messed with his pulled out the gun. He shot the ball, him, and my cousin Brandon. Nobody use no weapons. Just use your fist. Use your weapons. Seventeen blocks. What'd you think about this one? 
I like this documentary quite a bit, directed by Davey Rothbart. Uh, as you mentioned, it's about a family in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. who Rothbart followed over like a 20-year period, starting in 1999. Um, a mother and her two sons and a um, new man she has taken up with. I believe we learned that their father has passed away some time ago, um, mostly shot on home video, mm-hmm. much of which is captured by the subjects themselves. Mm-hmm. That's sort of the main, like, defining feature of its form, I suppose. Um, and um, uh, it is the, uh, the their story of uh, tragedy um, and resilience as well in this couple-decade period. Um, I think there's some uh, really moving stuff here that we can dig into. What about you overall? Yeah, I loved it. I... I... Didn't really know what we were getting into with it. Um, I understood that it was going to follow essentially a 17-block range. Um, I didn't quite know about the 20-year time span or what would happen in those 20 years or how much I would feel. Um, It started a little bit staged for my taste. Um, I didn't know what the callbacks... I didn't know that they were callbacks to begin with. And some of the stuff that I was seeing, I I felt like um, the mother was particularly a little bit more performative as a subject on camera and i i didn't really know how i felt about that and then about 20 minutes in all my um ham fisting had had gone away and i was just uh on for the ride i do think that the mother um did perform a little bit extra for the camera compared to what i saw from smurf um or the the sister um particularly um I, i think that when we saw um the Hulu documentary Minding the Gap, we did see some people perform a little bit extra for the camera as well. This kind of reminded me of that. I'd put it in the same league of, of extreme quality where um, just some of the subjects, I, I don't, I have a hard time wrestling with their believability and if I'm getting any version of the truth from them. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. It's maybe not, you know, quite on the level of some other docs and achieving intimacy with those characters, you know, and sort of letting them just be however they are. But sometimes for me, that's kind of revelatory in how they act, knowing they're on camera. Absolutely. Which could be really interesting. That's what came to happen in this one. Absolutely. Um, I don't think it's any spoiler to really talk about what happens kind of halfway through this doc, because I believe they say so right off the bat. And I think that to me, that kind of defeats the point to um, speak around it because it's not um, withholding information for the purposes of suspense. Yeah. Right. Um, so it's probably about halfway into this dock where we've jumped forward after 10 years or so mm-hmm. watching this family. And we've uh, heard them talk about violence in their neighborhood, both, uh, you know, fighting within the neighborhood as well as deadly gun violence. Mm-hmm. And uh, eventually come to know that one of the two young boys in this family uh, was shot and killed. Um, a young boy um, named Emmanuel. Who was the subject of the early part of the documentary before we knew he was going to die. Because he was doing the home video shooting himself. Right. Turning the camera on himself and his his mom and his brother. Um, And it then becomes sort of the story of their uh, grief. Mm -hmm. And um, how that sort of fuels other problems related to addiction. um, And them sort of contemplating uh, paths forward for themselves and how to kind of set up their own uh, future for their family in the best way that they can. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and, and it also shows how the sister comes to essentially be the the matriarchal figure that the entire family depends upon. You know, it's, it's she's the one who's feeding Smurf's children when Smurf is hauled off to jail again for the umpteenth time. And the mother is, is you know, scoring and, and doing drugs in her apartment um, while all those kids are around her. And she's just barely able to continue to keep everybody going. Um, it, it's in those moments in that apartment that I feel the absence of Emmanuel. And mm-hmm. I, that's just, it, it's really smart, empathetic editing to me. Yeah. It just makes me feel the loss that you can't really illustrate visually. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, a scene where Emmanuel's brother says something all, along the lines, I'm probably misquoting, but something really simple, like when you're uncomfortable, you make bad decisions and I'm mm-hmm. uncomfortable. And that's before, if I'm remembering collect correctly that Emmanuel passes away mm-hmm. um he's just kind of speaking about the struggle to make ends meet yeah um and how that you know sort of leads to to, to drug abuse and other things like I, that. I think that that's when he gets out of jail for the f- or when he's giving us the interview about getting out of jail to Davy I I who was kind of our stand-in I, I believe it was when Davy was interviewing him and he was explaining how in the the first day back or the first week back after he got out of jail he was right back on the block hustling um because that was how he made money and um you know he was uncomfortable he his whole family's uncomfortable that's the only way to get any version of a head and that leads to be the downfall of Emmanuel because he's putting on a face as a drug dealer acting like he has more money than he does and we as an audience i i think are are halfway there with the mother in thinking that smurf has some responsibility in the matter. However, I think that at the end, when she takes ownership of the fact that she's also responsible, we see, I think it's both of those. And also a third thing that is intangible. Yeah. Yeah. There definitely is a recognition in her and Smurf um, about um, how they and their decisions really sort of, um, set the stage for their kids and the next generation mm-hmm. of their family. Um, and I think that's where this documentary really works for me is in recognizing that these problems can really kind of persist through generations. And that's what makes them so hard to kind of overcome. And that's ultimately what's kind of inspiring about it is that you see these people recognizing that and really trying to um, resolve these problems. But uh, it's, it's also what's so heartbreaking because we I guess we haven't detailed that yet, but Emmanuel is the only one in his family that wasn't addicted to or doing drugs. He was, you know, as straight edge as, as one can be, um, while still being a teenage boy who's in love with the girl, um, and has a plan for his future. He wants to be a firefighter. He's getting good grades. He's, he's doing everything the right way. He's working hard. Um, and he's helping his family, um, every step of the way that, that from what we can tell, I'm sure he had his troubles just like any other growing adult, but, um, the loss of someone who was so good is the thing that underlines 17 blocks. It's, it's a collective loss for the American society to not have that individual in his community. Um, and that's part of what undergirds it, that these individuals are being lost and they could be bringing their community up. That's, that's what's heartbreaking, but also so tender about, the I, I don't remember the name of the child who's growing up and, and trying to follow in Emmanuel's footsteps. Um, 
and yeah, those moments are particularly um, deeply moving for me. Yeah, and I think it's just very understanding of how these problems are entwined and how um, the drug abuse, uh, Smurfs drug abuse is, you know, maybe partly because um, he grew up with that in his house with his own mother's addiction and um, how, you know, the struggle to just make ends meet fuels the addiction um, and how grief is not going to make it any better. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's just a very empathetic um, depiction of why people use um, in certain situations. Um, And yeah, I think it just kind of does ties those threads together quite nicely. Yeah. There's no, um, there's not really any questions at the end of this documentary either. I I mean, we do wonder how she does um, getting help um, to, to come off drugs, which she decides to, uh, to pursue near the end of the the documentary when it leaves off. And then we see uh, Emmanuel's fiance go on to, to have a a marriage, I believe with another man and begin having children. Um, And then uh, the sister has a child who I believe she names after, um, the fiance, correct? And that fiance is helping to raise these children. Um, I, I personally didn't know anything about the interpersonal connections of an area like this in DC. And so it, it not only tells me a story that's deeply human, it tells me a story about my geography and my culture that I would never have experienced, um, that happened essentially, you know, corollary to you and I growing up in different parts of the country you know he could have been in school with you or I and essentially in our grade which is uh deeply impactful for me yeah yeah uh yeah I think my only real reservation about it is that you know it's comprised of footage from a 20-year period and the documentary itself is about an, an hour and a half. I'm just the kind of viewer who likes that kind of material to be long and slow. I would mm-hmm. go for the four hour version of this. Um, there are times, um, and, and kind of just overall that it feels a little quick to me, you know, we're watching mm-hmm. this, this family grow. Um, and I think it covers a lot of ground in, um, in, in with some haste because, uh, it's fitting it into a rational runtime. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that that speed maybe just distanced me from the subjects a little bit. Um, but the um, story it's telling is, is still kind of speaking for itself at the same time. I would agree. Release the mallet cut, Davey. Release the mallet cut. The Snyder <laughs> cut. <laughs> no, no. The, the mallet cut is a real cut. The Snyder cut might not be <laughs> all right well that was 17 blocks uh it's heartbreaking beautiful and it'll be available from mtv films very soon on to midnight family papa. Llevamos tres días que no trabajamos, güey. No va a haber desayuno, comida y cena así. Andan dos comidas al día. ¿Y esto? Faltan 23. Papá, si tú tienes perro. ¿Y a dónde traigo? ¿De dónde voy a traer? Nosotros tenemos que agarrar el bueno. ¡Córrete a la derecha, carro guindado! ¡Déjame pasar! ¡Todo ahí por un familiar tuyo! 
no se dejaron cobrar o qué pedo? Yo te agradezco mucho, no traigo dinero. ¿Cómo quisiera que un día no saliera ni una puta particular y se den cuenta? Te dije de la diesel desde hace rato. Todos los policías a mí me están cobrando. Ya nos quedamos sin dinero, ¿eh? Güey, no, ya me tienen hasta la madre. Tengo un paciente que los oficiales no me dejan retirarme al hospital. Tu hijo va a estar bien. ¿Y si yo no se lo pago? Midnight Family, directed by Luke Lorenzen. You just watched this within the last five hours, I understand. I sure did. Are you still I kind sure of like did. on a high from it a little bit? I'm still wishing that any other movies had those chase scenes. Because those are awesome chase scenes. <laughs> or racing sure scenes, I guess. does. <laughs> uh, just to briefly recap what we're talking about here. Uh, this follows a family that operates a for-profit ambulance in Mexico mm -hmm. City, which we learn... Does not uh, make much of a profit. <laughs> correct. <laughs> or which the documentary tells us right off the bat um, is a city that is woefully undersupplied with government ambulances. Mm -hmm. And uh, the private sector has stepped in to fill the void, if you mm -hmm. will. Um, I thought it was artfully crafted and a fascinating look at some of these concerning situations that arise when medical service providers have a profit motive that conflicts with what might be in the best interest of their patients. And that's what a good number of these scenes, I think, revealed to me mm. at the same time that it was just a really um, well-crafted work of portraiture. We kind of get a sense yes. for what this family's situation is and what their rhythm and daily routine is like. Um, I'm highly, I am very high on this overall what about you slightly higher than you and and i i would add a third leg um to make this a tripod of what we see and the other portion would be that the the entire country of mexico does not appear to have the correct that's a, a tough there's a tough thing to broach they do not have a decent enough system in place for emergency services to do their jobs effectively. I don't know the right way to do it. I don't feel comfortable with just limiting this to like a, this is what happens when capitalism takes over your medical services. This is also what happens when your police officers are making you pay them money anytime you pick up a patient and when government services doesn't provide the services for the country. Now, whether or not that's because they can't afford to or not, you know, those are all separate things. But when they're picking up these patients and they, they're helping them and, and assisting them for free because by the time they get to the hospital, they find out they don't even have basic health insurance and there's nothing that they can give them. I think that there's, that there's a little bit more than just the capitalistic side coming in to, you know, have an opportunity. It's that opportunity would be better if there was some sort of a medical care that could assist at all. 
Yeah, I agree. To me, that exists on the the kind of periphery of the dock. The yeah. focus is on the ambulance industry. Yes. Um, but you can certainly extrapolate the themes beyond what it's specifically focused on, I would agree. Um, I like just the sense of um, routine we get. Um, this uh, sense of the, the monotony of sort of waiting for a call to come in, um, to be prepping your vehicle and getting your truck ready to go and then how quickly you're jolted out of that monotony Mm -hmm. when a call comes in and we're suddenly like speeding through the streets. I think this is just expertly paced um, to really really play like a thriller. Like incredibly well directed. I didn't, it looks good. Yeah, I agree. Um, And I think it withholds judgment from the Achoas. You can certainly be troubled by um, maybe some of the the calls they make or some of the conversations they have with their patients. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also is uh, recognizing their struggle to make ends meet and um, understanding what what drives their conversations yeah. with patients. So I think it's very sort of um, uh, kind of even-handed in that way. Yeah, I mean, it's... I don't even know how to put the fact that I'm watching a 17-year-old drive at that speed, running a private business, essentially, um, trying to teach his his little brother how to be a man, trying to help his father stay healthy. We see he has diabetes at one point. Um, it's it's an incredible collection of, of moments that I don't feel like I can pass any uh, holistic judgment upon there's a scene at the end of the film which I think kind of speaks for what we see um, they're on a street uh, the ambulance is parked on a street and behind them is a a father and a, and a son and they just picked up the little boy from school and they're getting loaded in the ambulance and the man is continuously trying to call or hail a cab from the other side of the, the road and every single taxi drives past and the ambulance pulls out and that's kind of what's happening is is there's these patients that need this service um but the the people that can provide it aren't listening and then the people that can stop to to pick you up um (laughs) if you can't afford it then they can't continue to do their job um there's something deeply uh, interesting about the image that he collected there it's it's about a one minute shot and i i was quite taken by it yeah, you mentioned his age, 16, 17-year-old kid mm-hmm. driving this ambulance. I was very sheepishly remembering what I was doing when I was 16 or 17, and yes. it was pathetic in yes. comparison. However, I, I was giving him a run for the money at that speed. He was moving. <laughs> he was, was, he was moving. He was pretty moving. quick driver. Yes. No doubt. Uh, but I like that we get a sense of how he is a teenager, you know, he wants to make sure his hair looks sharp mm-hmm. he wants to tell his girlfriend about his day and that also kind of shows us how he's kind of inured to the damage he sees every night mm-hmm. um and uh yeah and that and that same sense is kind of in the the chase scenes themselves there's kind of that queasy thrill of rushing towards whatever it is they're gonna find but you also don't want to see the carnage and i mm-hmm. like that the camera is always kind of tilting its gaze away from whatever it is they're coming across um but in a way that also reminds me to like put myself in the shoes of the patients like there's a shot where a woman's being rolled off the ambulance and we see her 
raise her arm above her and head. And she's itching her forearm. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, yeah, like, it. I don't know, it just kind of rips at your heart. Like, mm-hmm. you just feel kind of how lonely that is to be strapped down um, and not knowing, you know, what kind of care you're going to get and what you can afford. And the, um, I mean, the end, right? The end is everything. It's uh, a woman has fallen four stories. Yeah. She's bleeding out of the ears when they arrive. They're in a chase to get there. They beat out a, a newer looking nicer ambulance because of the, the driver. Um, and then they, they get her in and she dies in transportation. We don't know when she dies. We just know that she dies after they, we find out that she's been pronounced dead earlier after they've arrived at the hospital. And the mother was in the vehicle the whole time. Um, they missed the first turn to get to the hospital and they didn't go to the closest hospital to her because the one they went to has more money for them if they bring them that patient. And that is kind of what you were getting at earlier. It is the the robber baron nature of capitalism filling in for a structure that needs to be a little bit more uh, neutralized and sanitized. Yeah, yeah, you really don't want your medical service providers to be making judgment calls when, when lives are at stake. Based on um, their own financial interest. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and how it just balances that with our empathy for the Achoas at the same time is kind of incredible. That's, uh, I mean, what was that last shot with, with when they fold out the sleeping bags and the blanket and they all lay down together and sleep on a floor? It's heartbreaking stuff. Not mm-hmm. just for them, but for their subjects too. Um, I mean, when they revive the baby, like the good that they're providing f- to me far outweighs the bad, but then I think about that one dead girl at the end and I don't know that that's true. And it's... Mm. It's a weird thing that um, that Luke's brought to our attention um, or in front of our eyes. And I, I like that I have to wrestle with this. I like it yeah, a lot. Yeah, it's like if there's an undersupply to begin with, you want somebody to step in. But that doesn't mean it's going to not come with problems. And it, and it most definitely does. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think it just emphasizes the need for for the, the service in the first place. Yeah. Um, to avoid those kinds of, you know, complicated incentives. Yeah. But, I mean, we're um, Americans. I don't know enough about the Mexican structure to have yeah. any any idea of what I'm actually trying to say. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely agree in spirit, but I that's a far more nuanced conversation. <laughs> yeah, and I don't, yeah, the doc, I don't think, is trying to get at that. It's just... Um, I think it's a, a starting off point. Hey, yeah. we... I've observed a problem. Yeah, and I, I I like that it isn't sort of using the Achoas to, to generalize. Like, it is <laughs> their story. Absolutely. Um, we get to know these people mm-hmm. um, and their uh, r- routine. They're wanting to have their youngest get a good education. Um, and the sister as well. Yeah, yeah. Who we uh, see very little of. I right. think essentially one scene where she's asking for money. Mm-hmm. And they don't have any. There's not a lot to go around. Um, yeah, you even see the youngest kid, I think, pulling out some cash of his own mm-hmm. to, to give to his dad. It's The move. The money is kind of moving around between them yep. for, for this and that reason. Um, 
yeah i i think it's great and i think it's uh the, i think it's just a great looking documentary too it's all shot at night you just get the the look of you know all the uh the red and blue lights of vehicles mm-hmm. um giving it this this kind of sheen um the way that he used the reflective services of the entire ambulance or um was particularly interesting um at, at one point i think that he uses the lights of the hospital off of the the windshield and then he uses lights off of like the the gasoline station and the street mart and they look very similar but they're in very different moods one is when they're manic and one is when they're just coming off the mania and when the way that we see um the ambulance present as a hallway essentially for dead bodies and we see the younger brother lay on the same bed that we'd just seen someone die in or we saw him lie there just before someone died there or just before a a small infant was revived because the father was doing drugs with it um Mm -hmm. you know the the way that 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 space is collected um i can't really put words to but it it was uh it that in of itself is a piece of art within the film yeah absolutely uh yeah i keep thinking about them wanting the youngest son to get an education to me the idea being they don't want him to have to do this mm-hmm. in order to make ends meet for himself um so which is very mature for for a 17 year old yeah, running a yeah. business <laughs> yeah um and it, you know it's it just kind of feeds back into the irony of the people who are satisfying this demand don't want to be doing it they they want you know better jobs for themselves so yeah. that you know they're 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 providing the service at the same time that they are hoping their own don't have to do it yes um yeah which just you know kind of yeah just kind of creates this this feedback loop um yeah it's just rich stuff i like it i love it um this is currently doing a limited release rounds i believe it'll hit streaming uh probably in like the spring of this year and it I believe it is on a short list for Oscars. Um, we watched both of these in 2020. Um, would either one supplant anything on your on your best docs that we just recorded? Or Midnight Family, I think, would have a very good shot for sure. No doubt. I, I think that either one could have edged out um, my number three, which is saying a lot for my personal list. So, um, yeah, no, I, I really liked these two. Uh a lot. Let's get on to uh, Robert Garver's What She Said, the Pauline Kale story. Who else is good in the Pauline Kale? Yeah. She's never said a good thing about me yet. But that you like her. Dirty old broad. <laughs> Since 1968, Pauline Kale has written film criticism for The New Yorker. I understood her voice, and I and I related to her voice, even when I disagreed with her. We grew up reading Pauline Kael. She seemed to notice everything. There is a sense that people really don't know what they believe in anymore. She turned the movie review into this expressive vehicle. It was as expressive as the short story or the sonnet. She said, I know that some of my reviews have sent people to bed for two weeks. Pretty sharp tuned. Always referred to as that ghastly woman. There's very few critics who have the guts to go out there and write an honest review of a bad movie. She refused to be intimidated. Any woman in that position is going to uh, collect a lot of the animosity and really craziness that's out there. There's tremendous hatred of women. The, The real hate mail is for men, and it is vicious. 
And there are a great many critics who are just trying to get through the day, who know they're second rate and who are scared of their editors and scared of their readers and scared of the movie companies. If you're good enough, then you bring something to a magazine or a newspaper, you bring it readers, and so you can hold to your own judgment. If you're not good enough, then you're at the mercy of everybody and you have to give in. And so the point would be really to develop more courage. But she's probably the most qualified critic in the world because she cares about film and those that are involved in it. You like movies. I like movies. We talk about movies. Show enough. What didn't you like about a documentary about film critic Pauline Kael? I didn't like the documentary. Essentially, um, I liked a lot of the content. Uh, it just everything that I had to say about the look of Midnight Family, everything I had to say about the intimacy created in 17 Blocks is everything that was completely absent from what she said. Uh, I'm not denying the work of art in what she'd already done being present. When they do voiceovers of uh, Sarah Jessica Parker reading Pauline Kael's reviews, uh, they're still great reviews. They're still well-crafted. They're still interesting. However, the documentary itself is not up to the artistic quality. And I think that Pauline Kael would have even ripped into her own documentary and said that it's just not that well-paced, visually pleasing, any of that stuff. doesn't mean it's not touching, heartfelt, or adept. It's just not great and... When this is one of the greatest critics, um, I expected to see something a little bit more um, proficient the way that we saw with Ebert, I suppose. This just lacks a proficiency. Yeah, I don't think I would disagree. Uh, it's mostly uh, an assembly of interviews uh, with critics, filmmakers, other film types talking about Kale and uh, her place in the culture and their... <laughs> film clips and you know related excerpts from her film criticism um i i would agree that the assembly is a bit crude maybe a little rudimentary yeah. it just didn't make a difference for me mm-hmm. i mean the content just just speaks for itself i think i i found a lot of satisfaction in how it characterized her voice i'm not familiar enough with kale firsthand to know whether it gets it right or wrong but i'm not either just the sense it gave me of how confident uncompromising gutsy her writing was um i think it's just kind of inspiring when i think about how often um it talks a lot about how contrarian she often was Mm -hmm. and how hard that can be to love a movie that no one else seems to like because part of what's so fun about movie going is sharing your love with a movie um and she was not afraid to do that uh i think it very satisfactorily got that across for me. Um, I liked the talk about her interest in pulp and lowbrow mm-hmm. and populist fair. Um, what it was like to be a woman in a male dominated industry. Like, I just think it covers more than enough ground to make up for, um, you know, a lack of polish. I'm surprised yeah. that it didn't do the same. You did not mm-hmm. enjoy yourself. 
I, I won't say that I didn't enjoy myself because we saw two of the most unopinionated men in filmmaking, Paul Schrader and Quentin Tarantino, provide some interviews, you know, and they're, they're known for their extreme neutrality and lack of being on their own high horses. Um, so I, I would say that maybe it had such a great effect on me that I'm willing to be like Pauline Kael and voice my displeasure for a movie that um, certainly was capable of moving me and, and has affected likely the way that I will continue to see film in the future um, and will make me, you know, it, it interested me enough to go revisit her stuff. However, the form of documentary and what I saw... Um, you know, there's a lot of problems from its rudimentary presentation. I'm not saying that all of the content is absent. I'm saying that it had good content. I'm not saying it's terrible. I'm saying there's enough good content there that for it to be presented in such a lackluster way is quite disappointing, especially from someone with such a strong voice that I think is extremely interesting because I'm not calling for it. It's terrible. Never see. I'm saying it's so interesting and it's not good enough that I want to see a, that's what I said in my review is I want to see a new one with more, you know, gumption um, behind the, uh, the graphics, I suppose, and the edit and maybe just a a little bit more of, of that voice coming through a little bit stronger from her. That's it. I mean, I, I felt like her voice did come through so clearly, right? Like did, didn't snippets get of it did, but I, I think I'd like to see um, a, a sculptor try to shape her opinions on documentaries mm. somewhat into kind of uh, collecting me on a ride through her perspective um, and inform the very form of the documentary based on her own criticism of previous documentaries. Now, I don't know if that's even something one could do, I'm just kind of spitballing and like, that's what I'd rather have seen. Not something that it just, it's an extremely familiar presentation. It had good content. It just didn't make me swoon in any way that her literature being read by me wouldn't have. I agree. I just, it just felt like it was open up about being a content first form, second kind of documentary. Um, And in terms of, it having or its lack of a voice i guess i almost kind of liked that like if it didn't feel like it was particularly hagiographic or Mm -hmm. excessively in praise of her like i think it really uh opens it up to us to decide things like whether or not she was too harsh whether or not Mm -hmm. she was too deliberately contrarian um i think those are all interesting points that the form form doesn't enhance it but it certainly didn't get in the way of it for me um, and I would absolutely watch a doc that is more polished and maybe digs a little deeper into those. But I thought for me, it was a perfectly enjoyable little primer. Yeah, that's a, that, yeah, it's a, it's a primer. It's a, it's a glass of water before the, the alcoholic beverage. Uh, I, I want something with a little bit more risk, I guess. Um, and I don't mean to say anything disparaging about it. It's just, she's one of the greatest l- literary writers about the cinematic form that we've ever had i would like to see a cinematic entry reflect that would would be my my major point and to me this doesn't reflect that so much as reflect the content of what she's written and what people think in assembled youtube videos that are 
stitched into this documentary. Um, it, it's not terrible. It's just, it doesn't tell me much about the way that, that she thought about things that I can't read about. I, I, I just want more. I, I wanted, um, I wanted a stronger voice, uh, not a neutral voice presenting the strength of her, I guess. And yeah. in this case, I wanted bias. I wanted her, Pauline's guns to be locked and loaded and pointed into my eyeballs. And I wanted to see if, if I agreed with her assessments. And this was a little bit more scaled back. Yeah, I would historic. You know, there are, I, I, I would probably recommend it to particular cinephiles, especially, you know, if I knew what their level of interest was or familiarity with, with mm-hmm. Kale was, but I wouldn't recommend it on the basis of it being a fantastically well-made documentary. I would yeah. recommend it on the basis of its uh, introducing us to Kale. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's what I wanted and that's what it didn't, you know, I'm, I'm, I give it a neutral rating. I'm just quite disappointed based on the prolificness of her as a person. I, I saw, um, came out a couple years ago, um, early, uh, last year during the summer, I watched Milius, uh, which is John Milius, the the writer director uh, documentary, and you know it's very similar to this, but it actually lets his voice be loud um, in it, and that's partially because they could go interview him while he's alive, um, and you're seeing his body break down and and him kind of come to terms with with age and the past that he's sown. But it had a it had a bravado to it that I think that Kale has, and I want to see a documentary about Kale that has her bravado that really has that gumption to it. Completely agree. Um, I will go see and hope a better one is made. But with this being the one we got, I'll take it. No doubt. I will too. It's still touring independent cinemas and limited release. I think it's still seeking distribution. Um, it's been. On the circuit now since 2017, is that right? I was not aware of that. It's okay. been doing the rounds? It's been doing the rounds for at least a year because we heard about it in 2018, if I remember correctly. So, yeah, it's definitely been around for a while. Um, hopefully it'll get distribution and cinephiles can watch it soon and agree with me or you that it's, you know, neutral or great and that we both want to see a fancier one. I will definitely disagree with her and say that Antonioni is good. I, Come hot on. take. What a hot take. <laughs> Michael with the hot take. <laughs> Run! Go! Get to the chopper! We have to go. I'm coming with you. That was brilliant. You're the best and we love you! And that's another one in the can. <laughs>